are listening to highlights from One Planet Podcasts interview with Peter Satoris, PhD. You address some of the most important issues of our time, uh, the Anthropocene, and you raise the questions of how can we educate for the Anthropocene? Tell us a little bit how we might modify our current education models. How can we expect these education systems to undermine the policies that the very governments that are running these systems are pursuing. And so in that sense, I think uh, educating for the Anthropocene perhaps is, is different from schooling for the Anthropocene. Perhaps we have to think about a distinction between education and schooling, um, disconnect the two concepts and ask ourselves what other forms of education are there. Uh, but also ask ourselves what is maybe wrong with our schooling? How can we make schooling uh, an actual tool for educating for the Anthropocene? How can we uh, bring environmental sustainability into schooling as opposed to socioeconomic sustainability, which is what I think we currently see as the dominant force behind sustainability in, in schools, you know, that we are trying to sustain the socioeconomic system as opposed to the planet. Philosophy is definitely something, and, and the humanities uh, generally, is something that has been sidelined, as you mentioned, but I can't help but thinking and reflecting on some of these problems that we are now facing. If we had a grounding in philosophy and really, you know, really taking it into our lives, not just living in the classroom, you know, thinking through what, what what are the consequences of our actions that we might have avoided some of these problems that we're now facing. I think this this sort of blind faith that we have in um, in science and and engineering, uh, you know, the, the idea that somehow, you know, through the scientific method, through experimentation, through numerical data, we are able to grasp the world and that the, the sort of complexity of the world can be reduced to that. Um, I think is is a pretty pretty big assumption and goes back to this idea of, of arrogance. Um, you know, sometimes you you might run an experiment, you know, you might come up with a scientific finding, um, but you may not necessarily be uh, fully in control of how that finding is used further down the line. Um, I mean, you know, typical example, you've got, you know, scientists um, in the 20th century whose work contributed to the dimension of nuclear weapons, who would then very much regret that their work was used in that particular way. And so, you know, at the time that they came up with their findings, you know, this looked like a sort of neutral, neutral scientific finding. Um, but then once that finding, you know, enters the political arena of the time, you know, then you, you know, you, you'd have no control as a scientist over what happens with it. And I think that is ultimately what we see with a lot of natural sciences, you know, that, that there is this idea of political neutrality um, when, you know, in fact, social sciences and humanities teach us that nothing is, is politically neutral. What are the goals or what should be the goals of education? I think we are going to be faced, you know, um, in fairly short amount of time with a question of how to reinvent education simply because uh, education as it is currently conceived is is already obsolete, I think, in, in many places and very fast becoming even more obsolete. And so in that sense, this could be an opportunity. This could be an opportunity for us to ask ourselves in this kind of a post-industrial automated economy, uh, what kinds of roles could education play? Could we maybe reclaim some of that meaning behind the word education that that perhaps is is there in the background but just doesn't translate into into reality. It's also important for us, you know, not not to try to be too utopian about this and to also recognize that there are parts of the world 
large parts of the world where at the moment um, we we don't have much of an alternative to the current education system as a way of helping lift lift people out of out of poverty we need to have you know country specific region specific context specific approaches uh, to to how we rethink education um, you know to to make sure that we don't exacerbate things like poverty. You know, you use this technology to teach, and yet one of your books is Why Technology Won't Save Us. I, I know it's not the most technological, you know, of devices, mm-hmm. cameras. It's not like some of these other technologies. But it's interesting that you're using technology for the positive. The technology itself isn't uh, a solution to the root cause. It's It might be a solution to some of the symptoms of the of the environmental crisis, and, you know, and it can be a tool um, so, you know, in the way that I used it in my, in my work with children, it was, it was a tool within a sort of a, a larger, um, idea, larger, larger project, but, um, but it wasn't an end in itself. I believe that even if we had a magic button, you know, that we could press and that overnight would do away with, um, you know, all the emissions, um, I think that in itself actually would not be a solution because, Sure, it might make the the short term or or you know the medium term threat of climate change go away, but um, it's not going to fix our society. It's not going to um, you know do anything about the level of desensitization that um, you know we have as a society when it comes to the longer term consequences of our actions. It's not going to fix um, our individualism. Um, our reluctance to engage in thinking about future generations and intergenerational justice. Um, it's not going to do anything about any of those things because those are cultural, political problems um, that cannot be fixed with technology. We cannot engineer politics or, or culture. As long as we are clear that the technology is here to help us treat the symptoms, then sure, let's, let's go ahead and, and treat all the symptoms we can. But let's not forget that um, it, it's not doing anything about the underlying causes and that those need to be treated because if they're not, sooner or later, they're going to catch up with us again in some form. You've encountered indigenous societies who uh, live in greater harmony with the environment, but who are also seeing uh, destruction of their ecosystems. So, uh, you know, what have you learned from those experiences? A lot. We tend to think of um, low-income countries as sites of intervention places that need our help um but i think i've i've emerged from from my work thinking that perhaps more than sites of intervention you know they're they're often sites of inspiration um and that doesn't mean that they don't need intervention that that doesn't mean that we should romanticize them and that we should sort of look to indigenous people as uh, as a solution that you know if we were all to adopt this lifestyle that this would solve the problem uh, I think we also need to be careful about about sort of you know not not turning these communities into sort of museum pieces that that you know we can we can look at and um, and study uh, and, and recognize that they are people just like ourselves that their culture evolves that it's dynamic. We are essentially asked to accept a certain definition of sustainability, uh, which is handed down to us by the elites. Um, you know, we are, we're not um, expected to question that. Um, and, you know, the education system is, is one part of one, one way through which that, that happens, you know, this handing down of that agenda. And in, in this way, I think, you know, sustainability has almost become uh, a form of Orwellian doublespeak, you know, that it's, it's really sort of stands for the opposite of what it once stood for. 
uh, once it stood for the sustainability of the natural environment and the planet and you know um, some some form of intergenerational justice and i think now it stands for the sustainability of um transnational neoliberal capitalism what are some of those lessons that have been important to you that you would like young people to know preserve and remember um i'd say that uh one key lesson is to is to basically stay connected to our imagination um i've i've certainly seen you know with a lot of young people what what happens is that you know as they as they grow up they tend to maybe get disconnected from their imaginations because you know um maybe maybe the kind of radically different worlds that they imagine as kids um you know they they no longer seem feasible when they go through the school system and they're told you know that the world functions in a certain way um so i i would just say just hold on to that you know hold on to those those ideas that that you had as a little kid about the, you know the kind of world that you would like to you would like to see you know they're they're not embarrassing they're not ridiculous they are not unrealistic so on all of these things that the society tells us uh about our quote unquote childish imagination i i think they are not true i think we need to resist that narrative and yeah and and just and just embrace that we hope you've enjoyed this program if you would like to get involved in one planet podcast or learn more about environmental projects click on subscribe thank you for listening